Well, good evening. I want to thank David and Mike both for picking out songs that were so appropriate for the lesson. I appreciate that. You know, I think there are certain phrases, certain themes that are biblical in nature that we all have heard a billion times and we all agree with. And maybe even we think that we are living them out. When in actuality, when push comes to shove, when you really get down to the crux of the matter, maybe, maybe we're not exactly in tune to the things that we think we are. And one of those concepts I want to look at tonight, and that's the concept of spiritual warfare. You've heard that over and over again. We are engaged in a great spiritual battle. This is, this is a spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. It's a battle for your soul, all those different things, and we recognize that. But do we really? In Numbers chapter 32, we see that the Reubenites and the Gadites request that Moses allow them to settle in the land east of the Jordan. They want to go ahead and have their inheritance because they are two tribes that had a lot of, of, of livestock and they felt that the, the place there would be perfect for grazing, for, for living, for for their livestock. And so they request that Moses allow them to settle there. Now, understand what this means. It means that they would not be crossing over to go to battle with the rest of the Israelites. In other words, they're wanting to sit there while everyone else goes on to fight. And notice how Moses responds, verse 6. Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Moses basically says, you're telling me that you're going to plop down right here while everyone else goes on and fights? The only reason that this land is desirable to you, the only reason it is an inheritance, is because of the brethren, because of those around you who have fought for it, and now you're going to just stay here and let everybody else go on and continue to fight? Moses, of course, was also concerned that their decision might incur the wrath of God. Notice verses 17 through 15, or 7 through 15. It says, Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to the sea of the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, None of the men who come up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Folks, we are at war. And again, I know you've heard that many times. But do you understand the meaning and magnitude of that? 
Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying this is war. We are all engaged in a spiritual battle. Doesn't matter if you want to be. That doesn't matter. You are, whether you like it or not. And if you refuse to believe that you're engaged in a spiritual battle, then guess what? You're losing, and you're losing big time. We have to recognize this. We have to enlist. We have to be ready to fight. We need God. We need each other on our side. Luckily, you don't do this by yourself. You couldn't. Thankfully, you have the church. You have God on your side, and so therefore, you're not in this battle alone. But we need each other, and we need to recognize the fight. So the question really becomes, are you going to sit or are you going to fight? Are you going to be like the tribe of Reuben and Gad and just sit and do nothing? Or are you willing to engage in battle? Just so there's no confusion, let's study the anatomy of a sitter for just a second. Just so we know what we're talking about. If you choose to sit, some have already done so, what does a sitter look like? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So if you want to define a sitter, they're basically someone who is weak, sick, and they're sleepy. We might say that they're lethargic. And lethargic simply means they're complacent, they're apathetic. They, they, don't, really, they don't really care too much about the spiritual battle. They may know what's going on, but they're going to let somebody else do the fighting for them. And how difficult is that? You know as well as I do that if you're going to be a part of a church family, that church family needs to be a working church family. It needs to be a moving church family, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. How difficult is it to move to get things done when you're the only one doing the work or when there's only a core group of people doing the work? right? When you have to pick up the slack for everybody else. We say it a lot, but a lot of times church looks like a football game where you have 22 people participating and, and 80,000 just cheering them on, not doing anything, right? And so we have to change that. Have you ever been on a team with a teammate that was complacent or didn't really want to work that hard? You ever been in a, a job setting? Maybe you are right now where you have a coworker who is lazy or lethargic and you have to do more than your fair share of the work to make up for what they won't do. You know, I said this as a coach. When my best player is my hardest worker, there's no limit to what we can do. It's amazing what we can do when my best player is also my hardest worker. That wasn't always the case. A lot of the time, I had my best player as one of the most complacent because he was good. He wasn't challenged in practice. He didn't feel like he had to work very hard. A lot of times, that's what you saw. But when my best player was also my hardest worker, we could get a lot of things done. It was exciting. All of us have to be engaged in this battle for it to work. We can't have somebody else pulling dead weight. We've all got to be doing our job so that somebody else isn't having to do it for you or having to do more than what they should. What a travesty it would be that, that we enter into eternity, and rather than God saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant, he says, depart from me, you lazy, worthless servant. 
everything that God made is defined by superlative excellence. We, of course, can mess that up. But when we talk about what we were designed to do and what we were designed to be, if we are, if we are settling for less than what God created us for, how sad is that? God never made anything that was not characterized by goodness and excellence. Genesis 1.31 reads, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We were made to be excellent. And I challenge you to find anywhere in the Bible, from Old to New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, and every book in between, where God accepted anything less than the best. What does he expect from us? He expects excellence. We were designed for excellence. We're not perfect. We won't be perfect. But how about we strive for perfection? How about we seek excellence in his sight? The wise Solomon wrote, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, do it with tenacity. Give it everything you've got. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul wrote, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Be diligent. Could we not say, be tenacious. Work at it. Sitters have a certain disposition. Their main concern is really nothing more than status quo or maybe even less than status quo. You've heard me say this before. Unfortunately, too many times Christians come into church wanting to give the minimum but expect the maximum. How sad that is. Unfortunately, one thing that we see with church today, and we've talked about it millions of times here recently, is how it's so consumer-driven. It's all about me, and, and, and what are you going to do to meet my wants? I mean, I've got this checklist of items are you going to meet them? And if not, I'll, I'll leave and I'll go to the church down the road. I'm not talking about doctrinal matters. I'm not talking about needs. I'm talking about wants. The customer's always right. And so we tailor worship, we tailor our church around what the customer wants. And that's so off base. That's so off kilter from what Scripture says that church should be. What we should be as the church. Sitters tend to sit and want everyone to cater to them. That's why they're weak. That's why they're sick. That's why they're sleepy. Sitters settle for status quo or less than status quo, and, and their mantra is good enough. Good enough. That's good. Good enough. Remember the words of the prophet Haggai? Haggai 1, starting in verse 3, he says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. What the prophet Haggai was driving at is that the remnant had returned, work on rebuilding the walls had, had, had gone pretty well for a while, and then it had stopped as they got distracted. And the people said, well, you know, we, we don't really have time for that right now. And Haggai said, you, you had time to build your own paneled houses. You had time to do the things you wanted to do. Why aren't you doing the things that need to be done? You have time to do your work. Why aren't you doing the Lord's work? You know, all too often, sitters sit because they're so busy doing other things. 
We have a lot of people in this auditorium that I admire their work ethic. I admire the things that they have been able to accomplish in life. And those are things that, I mean, yes, we can be proud of and we can, we can certainly take pride in. But I think all too often, those who sit spiritually don't even realize they're in a sitting position because they've allowed so many other things around them to take over. And so it's pushed God to the back burner. It's allowed God to take second or third place in their life. They're so busy doing other things. It's not that they're lazy in life. It's just that they have chosen to sit spiritually or it's just kind of happened because so many other things are stealing their attention or robbing them of their focus. And so we have to be careful because sometimes it just happens unintentionally. We wake up one day and we find, oh, wow, I'm a pew potato. I didn't even realize it. I'm just a sitter, and I didn't even realize that I was doing it. We completely understand what it means to excel in life, so why don't we understand it when it comes to being a Christian? We completely understand what it means to excel in band or sports or school or whatever it is, which is why we hire tutors and we have coaches that work with us privately, our kids privately, so they can get the, the best training and instruction they can get. And, and we study diligently, and we do all these things to climb the, the, the ladder of success, whatever it may be. And yet, we don't put the same, towards, uh, same type of diligence towards what matters most. And like I said, sometimes it can just creep up on us, and we don't even realize it. Remember the, the words of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? I know you've heard this illustration a million times. I think I've even used it, but it's, it's like the farmer who has a prized cow who has twin calves, and he's so excited and he feels so blessed that God has, has given him two calves rather than just one. And so he says, he makes up his mind that I'm going to keep one for myself and I'm going to give one to God. The one that I give to God, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to get the proceeds and give it to the church. That'll be God's calf, and I've got my calf here. And he tells his wife his plans and all that. And so time goes on, and it turns out he's got a red calf and a white calf, and that white calf gets sick. And he walks in one day, and he tells his wife, he said, I got some bad news. And she said, what is it? And he goes, the Lord's calf died. And she says, the Lord's calf? When did you decide that, you know? And he said, well, the other day when it got sick, that's when I decided it was going to be the Lord's calf. And so many people do that, right? They, they decide early on, this is what I'm going to keep for myself, and I'll give God what is left. And there's no sacrifice, right? And it just kind of happens. We put so much time and energy and effort towards things that really in eternity don't matter when you think about it. They matter to us right here, right now. Many of them matter greatly. But when we weigh them against eternity, we're striving so hard for things that won't last. What are you offering to God? If it's not your best, then is it really acceptable? Again, you look through Scripture. What does God require always? From the Old Testament sacrifices all the way through the New Testament, what does He expect from us? Our best, right? Excellence. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. The offering that we lay at the altar today is excellence. To deny yourself and take up your cross daily. It's going to require some tenacity. It's going to require someone to fight. Sitters also have a weak immune system. 
Unfortunately, they are weak in their resistance to temptation. They are easy prey for the devil. They are weak in their resistance to error. And because they are not in the word, they're typically led astray easily. Sinners also have a weak appetite. They don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. They kind of eat up everything around them rather than eating up what is most important. So they have a poor diet. It's kind of like those mentioned in Numbers chapter 32. They discourage others. They hold everyone else back. Instead of, uh, of helping the rest of the team and, and staying focused on the team concept, they, they hold everybody back. Everyone is having to constantly pick them up and move them along because they're not taking care of themselves. You can understand if someone is weak, if someone is hurting, or if someone is wounded, you pick them up and you help them. That's what brothers and sisters in Christ do. But when it's someone who is constantly wounding themselves, someone who is not eating a proper diet, and so therefore they're unhealthy and it's holding you back because you're constantly having to help them along, that's a little more frustrating, isn't it? And so when we understand the team concept, when we understand that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, then we understand that we don't need that kind of distraction. The church doesn't need that kind of distraction. Some are weak spiritually because they're babes in Christ. Some are weak spiritually because they've been wounded. Some are weak spiritually because they've been hurt. Those folks need our attention. They need our help. They should be able to rely on us to pick them up when they have fallen and to, and to carry them for a little while if need be. But there's a big difference in, in, in that and someone who just refuses to fight. And we need to know that difference. What we need, what the church needs, what God needs is fighters. People like Joshua and Caleb. You remember them, right? You know, the inhabitants of the land were big and strong in Numbers chapter 13 when the spies went out on their reconnaissance mission. They came back fearful because of what they saw. In their eyes, there was, there was no way that they could win. But in verse 30, it reads, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Caleb was convinced that they would be victorious. However, the people were not. They were, they were fearful. The sons of Israel even resorted to giving a bad report in the hopes that Moses would not go and fight. But in verse 6 and following of Numbers chapter 14, it reads like this. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What, is the, what was the key to the confidence of Caleb and Joshua? They understood something that we all need to understand, and that is the Lord was on their side. You see, as Christians, we're not going to lose this fight. The outcome has already been determined. You know that, right? The theme of the book of Revelation, as hard as it is to understand sometimes, as difficult as apocalyptic language is to read, the theme of Revelation is we win. That's it. Victory has been assured. We know that we're going to win. But that doesn't mean that we might not lose some battles along the way. 
The devil is a formidable foe. The devil is constantly winning small victories over and over again. He knows he's going to lose in the end. He knows he's a loser. He knows where his ultimate fate is going to be, but that doesn't stop him from trying to win smaller battles along the way, which is why we still have to fight. I mean, Joshua and Caleb still had to go into battle even though they knew they would be victorious, right? And the same is true with us. Even though we know we win, we still have to fight. We have to fight for the souls of those who are too weak to fight. We have to fight for those who are in the world, as we talked about this morning, that are in Egypt, and and we're trying to pull them out of that, out of slavery, and bring them over to the winning side. We're trying to take as many people with us as possible as we head to the promised land. So there's still a battle raging. Even though we ultimately win, we still fight. Instead of being content with mediocrity, we have to strive for excellence in whatever we do. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 reads, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, be a tenacious fighter, Paul says. Never get up, give up, never give in, never surrender. We as Christians have a duty to fight for one another, to fight in the Lord's army, to fight for those who can't fight for themselves, to fight for those who don't even know that there's a battle raging, those around us outside these walls. A commitment to excellence or a lack thereof will show itself clearly in the way that we do things. If we put little effort in what we do, it's going to show. In contrast, if we give our all, it will show in the quality of what is produced. And so, we should be striving to give our master the very best of what we have. And we must aim to go beyond ordinary. We must aim for perfection. We may not reach it, but our work will be far more excellent when we have our sights set higher. It's not a shame to fail. It's not. It's not a shame to fail. You know what is a shame? To aim too low. You know, there's certainly pride that we can take in being a Christian. And, and folks, we look around us and we see, you know, we've got this beautiful new building. We've got, you know, large crowds on Sunday morning. We're growing. We've been growing for, for uh, quite some time now. There's a lot of things that we can take stock in and we can be proud of. What we can't do is sit. What we can't do is just be satisfied. This is good. I was a part of a church one time, and, and, and we, were, we were growing, we were doing some things, but I knew that, that we had to get past this other threshold. In, in any church, in any business, really, in any organization, there are what uh, Jake calls lids. And you've got to be able to remove those lids if you want to continue to grow, because eventually you're going to hit that lid, and if you're not willing to take that lid off, you're just going you're, you're to stay where you're at. You may even decline. And there's one church I was working with, and, and I was so excited about our future, and we were talking about it in a, in a, in a leadership meeting, and, and one of the things I said is, look, if we're going to get past this next threshold, if we're going to meet this next threshold, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to be thinking about. And I remember one leader stepping up and saying, you know, what's wrong with being a church of 200? And I thought, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your mentality, we're not on the same page here. Because you know how big I want Oldham Lane to be? How many people are in this community and around it? However big that is, that's how big I want Oldham Lane to be. Because if you run the numbers, Oldham Lane, or excuse me, Abilene is about 120,000, a little bigger than 120,000. And you look at this community and you say, wow, what a spiritual community. You look at, at, at all the churches, there's one on every street corner. I mean, this is a very spiritual community. But if you look at the numbers and you run the numbers, you will see that only about 20% of Abilenians go to church. 
that leaves a whole host of individuals out there just right outside our front door that's unchurched. And the unchurched are losing the battle. They're not on the winning side. So what are we going to do about that? You know, when, when Reuben and Gad realized the consequences of sitting, because thankfully they did, when they realized the consequences of just plopping down east of the Jordan and not crossing, they went to war with their brethren. They realized it wasn't a good idea, and they immediately made arrangements to be involved and to do their part. May we all consider the consequences of sitting. What church has become in our culture is a place to meet at an agreed-upon time three times a week. It has become a place where we come and we gather, we sing some songs, we listen to a lesson, we take the Lord's Supper, we enjoy some fellowship, and we go home. This is not church. This is where the church assembles. Your church. We are the church. And we don't need to remember that just when we come here and gather. We need to remember that when we scatter from here as well. What are we going to do about the battles that are being lost daily out there outside these walls? Are we willing to help the wounded? Are we willing to reach out to those who, who, are, who are losing to the devil? Are you going to sit or are you going to fight? David's going to lead us in a song if we can help you tonight in any way. Maybe you're going to, maybe you've, maybe you've been thinking about your spiritual state. Maybe you're ready to do something about that wherever it is. Maybe you'd like to study the Bible with someone. Maybe you're ready to make a change in your life. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Whatever that need is, we want to help you. We say it every week. Don't leave here without being right with God. Come now as we stand and as we sing.